0: Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Reverend Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. Now today's reading from James uh, actually quotes heavily, or I guess I should say, that's presumptuous, that James quotes heavily from one of my previous sermons. Um, I quoted quoted heavily from James in one of my recent sermons about Christian wisdom, and I referred to this passage in particular. And some of you may uh, remember that sermon. I, I talked about how Christian wisdom begins in humility, proceeds in curiosity, and ends in seeking the good of others. That it begins in humility, proceeds in curiosity, and ends in seeking the good of others. And so because I've already preached on this, I'm done for today. Just go back and listen to that other sermon. And then we can be <laughs> no, I, I do have more to say. But, but, uh, but, but I'm going to refer to that sermon in here. And so if you didn't listen to that or didn't hear any of the other sermons in this series, you can find them for download as a podcast if you search for Day by Day with St. Richard's. Okay? So if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that. And you can find the audio of these sermons there. I'll also tell you um, that after the first sermon in this series, I felt like, man, I've just been really getting into this, and I preached way too long. And so for the second sermon in the series, I gave myself half the notes. I'm not lying to you. I gave myself half the notes and preached for the exact same amount of time. So I just want to let you know your preacher is trying to look out for you, and even still, I just can't, I can't seem to bring it in. So we're going to land the plane earlier today. Um, so let's get caught up on where we are this morning. So in James chapter 1, uh, we see James setting up all of the themes that he's going to be exploring throughout the rest of this book. And chief among those themes, I argue, is when he says that he is exhorting us to be not merely... Uh, hearers of the word who deceive themselves, but doers of the word, okay? That we are to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. I think the whole rest of the book of James is really just James continuing to explain and tease out what that means, to be a doer of the word, okay? And so we talked about that in week one and about how James gets us to pose the question Uh, What does our religion have to do with anything? How does what we do here on Sunday mornings impact the way that we live out there Monday through Saturday? That's really what James is all about, and he sets that up there uh, in James chapter 1. And then James chapter 2 begins with uh, James having some pretty harsh words for his community that he's writing to because they were showing favoritism to the wealthy among them. And he says, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Uh, You shouldn't give pride of place and the best seats in the church to the wealthy and then say to the poor, oh, you can just sit at my feet or whatever. That's not, that's actually antithetical to the gospel and you don't need to do that. And then that leads him to this famous discussion of the relationship between faith and deeds, right? Faith and works and how our faith without deeds is dead. And so in that sermon, we talked about uh, James's relationship to Paul, and we looked at Paul's letter to the Galatians and how I think James and Paul are actually saying much the same thing, uh, just in different ways and emphasizing different things. So that was the next sermon in the series. And then um, we, we didn't hear about this. Mother Kelly preached a wonderful sermon last week and gave us a little bit of a breather on, on a, only James. She talked about a lot more than just James in that sermon. Uh, but in James chapter 3, we hear about how Even though our tongues are one of the smallest parts of our body, they are the most powerful, um, James says, because of the power they have to destroy and to tear down as well as to build up. Uh, And James has this just really vivid image. He says, oh, how great a forest can be set ablaze by a small fire. Right? Meaning that... um, Our tongues act the same way. The words that we use, the way that we speak to one another, the way that we treat one another, that can set ablaze a whole forest with with just our, our, our words. We can cut people down or build them up. We can use our words to divide or to unite. And that gets us to where we are this morning, where James then describes two kinds of wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. One is a wisdom born of envy, and this is a particular term that James uses that we're going to talk more about later in this sermon, uh, is a wisdom born of envy and selfish ambition. And James says that this is of the devil. It's devilish, is is the word that he uses. Uh, And uh, so there's that kind of, of devilish wisdom, which he associates with being earthly wisdom. And then there is a different kind of wisdom, a gentle wisdom that seeks peace and mercy, and that wisdom is born from above. And it's the same wisdom that I preached that sermon about, um, I think three or four weeks ago, uh, when I talked about wisdom being, you know, beginning in humility, proceeding in curiosity, and ending always seeking the good of others. And so there are these two kinds of wisdom, right? And not surprisingly, we as Christians are called to live according to the second kind of wisdom, the, the wisdom from above. And it's that wisdom that will help govern our tongues and, you know, make sure that we don't set forests ablaze uh, with our words, right? That's the wisdom that we are supposed to use um, and employ in the living of our lives. Now, James makes a turn here. Um, If you notice this in the reading, so James, for a while, he's talking about these things in general terms. He's talking about the two different kinds of wisdom and You know, and that sort of thing. And it's more just sort of broadly speaking, here are two kinds of wisdom. And then he makes a turn in today's reading where he turns the lens on to those he is speaking to. Did you catch that? He starts speaking directly to the readers of his letter. And he says, those conflicts and disputes among you, you see, among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and don't have it, so you commit murder. You covet something and you can't obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. So here, James is beginning to address the ways that his community that he is writing to, his community of Jesus followers were failing to live by godly wisdom. And because they were failing to live by this kind of godly wisdom, they fell prey to, the, uh, to the, um, the envy that breeds enmity between people. And that this was starting to tear his community of Jesus followers apart. Now, if you notice also in your service leaflet, you'll notice there, if you look at the scripture reference, there's a portion missing. It, it, it skips some in the reading from James. Now, anytime that happens, I always like to go and see what the lectionary left out, because they typically leave out the juicy parts. They, they don't, they, they, they like skip over that and, and keep going. And, and that's what they do today. So if you were to read the part that's left out, the very next line that we don't hear is James calling uh, his readers adulterers, he says. You adulterers. Now, by this, he's not meaning all of you are cheating on your spouses. That's not what James is meaning. James is actually uh, characterizing their use of of earthly wisdom as committing a kind of adultery or unfaithfulness against God. That by falling prey to this kind of envy that breeds enmity between themselves, they have uh, been unfaithful to their promise they've made to God. It's a very strong image. Like I said, James really, he, he just, he'll throw punches. He doesn't mind doing that. And he certainly does that here, though we don't get it in today's reading. Um, so he does. He equates this kind of devilish or earthly wisdom as this act of adultery. Uh, and so, James is very concerned with this way that what he calls envy um, leads, as I said, to enmity. Now, I want to stop here and define this this envy that he's talking about a little bit more because it's not just, I think when we say I'm envious of someone else, uh, we use it in the same way of like maybe um, jealous. Like if someone has a nice thing or something and we want that thing, it's like we covet that item. That is part of what James is talking about, but it's actually a little bit deeper than that. Um, It's a kind of zero-sum thinking whereby... If that person has that thing, it means I can't have it, right? And in order to have that thing, whatever it is, I've got to as he describes, kill them for it. I mean, he uses that's a pretty you you know you you don't have this thing and so you murder. I mean, that's a that's escalating. It's not even like, you know, you, this, your neighbor has a nice car so you steal it. It's like you kill your neighbor to have it, right? That's very extreme, but that's because When uh, James is talking about envy here, he's not merely talking about desiring someone's goods or something like that, It's, it's a deeper kind of thing. And this kind of envy and this kind of zero sum thinking is not just corrosive within the Christian community, it corrodes every human relationship when we fall prey to this kind of thinking. And it corrodes every human relationship because it prevents us from living into what James calls the royal law. Do you remember us talking about this? So uh, James refers to the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. James calls that the royal law. And pretty much all of the stuff that he's been talking about has been about how to live that out. How do we love our neighbor? Right? Faith without deeds is dead. You've got to actually put up or shut up, right? It's kind of James' James's thing. And so here, he talks about how this kind of envy prevents you from actually fulfilling that royal law. It causes division and hatred by turning a neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It turns a neighbor into an enemy. A neighbor into an enemy. And it corrodes everything around it. So... What are some examples of this? This isn't just something that James is writing about that we can like, conveniently dismiss as only existing 2000 years ago. Um, this actually has quite a few very unfortunate uh, modern day analogs. I think probably the most pedestrian uh, contemporary analog is just that uh, modern advertising and marketing operates off of this principle of creating envy. That's what it wants to do, right? You watch a commercial and what does it portray? a lot of beautiful people doing beautiful things on, in beautiful locations right and you want to be those beautiful people and so it creates this sense of envy in you that you want to you want to be that person you want to aspire to that thing and so you want to go out and buy that product right the new iPhones getting ready to come out and it's not that different from the current iPhone quite frankly but apple's trying to make me want it so bad <laughs> AT&T has sent me so many ads about how it would change my life if I decided to upgrade to the iPhone 13, okay? Now, that's a very pedestrian example. Like I said, you might be like, well, that's not super corrosive to, uh, you know, to anything, but actually, sometimes it can be. Our pursuit of worldly goods can actually lead us to trample on all sorts of people. Um, that's, the kind, that's one kind of way that this envy Uh, instantiates itself in our life, but there's another uh, more corrosive and more insidious way that this envy leads to enmity and violation of what James calls the royal law. I'm convinced actually that most racism acts this way. Most racism is actually built on this idea of envy because it's a kind of zero-sum thinking that the flourishing of one group of people means that I can't flourish. And therefore, I will oppress this other kind of people in order that I may flourish and they can't, right? This is underneath a lot of ideas that have to do with racial attitudes, right? It's a zero-sum lens. And in fact, actually, any time that we are told who our enemy is by someone else, that we are told to hate someone else, whether it's because of the color of their skin or something else, this kind of envy that leads to enmity is at work. And James is cautioning us to avoid it at all costs. Now, this is an unfortunate, very common political trope, right? Politicians are really bad about this. All sorts of politicians are bad about this. What they'll do is they'll tell you who to hate. They'll tell you and who hates you, right? They'll say, this is your enemy and they're out to get you and their success is gonna lead to your downfall And therefore, vote for me and I'll protect you from them. I'll protect you from the person that I told you you were your enemy, right? And this is divisive. It divides us. It's corrosive. Because we start to see people that God calls us to see as neighbors, we see them as enemies. Now, of course, we also forget that we serve a God who proclaims we should love our enemies as well as love our neighbors as ourselves. But that's a different sermon. Um... But these things exist. This kind of envy is very much pervasive in our culture today and we still fall prey to it in the same ways that James is getting his community to notice. We can sometimes fail to employ godly wisdom and instead employ the earthly wisdom that James talks about and we end up divided and angry and fearful at one another. Now, if you may be thinking, oh, no, I have done this. (laughs) I have fallen prey to this kind of thinking. If you are like me every week when I sit down to write these sermons and you're like, oh, no, James is writing to me specifically and I don't like it, okay? There is hope. We are actually in good company because as I very badly read uh, in in our gospel reading, um, (laughs) the disciples also fell prey to this way of thinking, okay? Okay. It's not just us. What does it say? Then they came to Capernaum. See, this is my, this is my fault, because I put this as the quote in my sermon, and I thought that's where the gospel began in my mind. But there was some other stuff that happened before this. Okay, um, so eventually they come to Capernaum. They're traveling around. Uh, and when they get to where they were staying, they get to this house. Jesus asks his followers, what were you arguing about on the way? And of course, Jesus knows what they were arguing about, and we know he knows because of what he says right after this, Right? But he pulls that like, he pulls that parental, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. He pulls that on his disciples right here. And he's like, well, what were you arguing about? You know, tell me, just say it, say it out loud. And you can feel the awkwardness and shame in the next line. You can feel it. What were you arguing about on the way? Jesus asked, but they were silent, it says. But they were silent because on the way, they had argued with one another who is the greatest. Because, of course, somebody has to be the greatest, and it's not going to be Peter, or what, right? You know that Jesus' own followers had fallen prey to this earthly kind of wisdom that made them think that somebody's got to be the best, and if someone's the best, then someone else isn't going to be. And what does Jesus do? He kind of pushes all of it aside, and he... Uh, just responds, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Ouch, you know? Okay? The kingdom of heaven doesn't operate in the zero-sum way, and it doesn't make sense to think that way, and you're actually called not to think that way because you're called to see everybody as neighbor. So what do we do? If even the disciples fell prey to this, what do we do? Well, the good thing is, is James doesn't just, you know, keep throwing punches with no, uh, with no sort of helpful hint at the end or no sense of direction at the end of what he says. And so I'm going to leave us today where James leaves us, which is that all we can do, all we really can do, is to strive to do what James exhorts at the end of today's lesson, to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and to draw near to God. Those are the things that we can do. And they may seem like small things, but they're not really. Resisting the devil is no small thing, right? Having to consciously think to ourselves, am I going to employ a godly, you know, a godly definition of wisdom in the living of my life, or am I going to give in to the sense of envy that leads to enmity? Am I going to uh, fall prey to the divisiveness of our culture and our time? Or am I going to follow the way of Jesus and try to do something higher? To love my neighbor as myself, Now, we're bound to mess that up, like 100% guaranteed to mess it up. But that is why we do things like gather here. A lot of my sermons end this way with coming to church. Okay? But y'all are already on the path. You're already, you're already consciously seeking to live a life in godly wisdom because you are here. You are here. And the good news is, is that even though we will 100% fail to live our lives according to godly wisdom all of the time, we can draw near to God. And the good news is, is that we, when we draw near to God, James tells us that God will draw near to us. And so that's what we're doing today. We're here to draw near to God, to experience God in our prayers, in the sacrament, in our song. And in doing that, in drawing near to God, God draws near to us. And as a prayer that I think some of us may be familiar with, if we do that day by day, we will grow into holiness and godly wisdom. And so that's our prayer and our hope this morning. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.